Thank you, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Well, um, here we are, several weeks now into uh, our sermon series, Dare to be Different. If you've been around through all of it, well done, because I think this is about number, are we up to about number 10 out of a series of 12? Um, but the whole series is looking at how we as Christians can bring a distinctive perspective and approach to many of the issues that we're seeing around us in society. Now, if you were here last week, you will have heard Claire preach on God and mental health, which is a, uh, as she described, a hidden condition that impacts about one in four people. Today, in contrast, we're going to be looking at our bodies. Yes, a physical phenomenon exhibited by around ooh, 100% of everybody here, one that is in clear and full view, and yet, and yet, I think it's fair to say that our relationship with our bodies can be challenging. Sometimes we mistreat them, uh, we can even abuse them, and we can allow ourselves to be seduced into thinking that the one that we have is not good enough. So this morning, um, we'll look a little bit around the, the theology uh, of what God teaches us about our bodies, and f- hopefully from that understanding, we're then in a better position to uh, help ourselves and others who may be struggling. Now, Scripture actually has a lot to say about the body, but I want to base this sermon around one particular passage uh, from 1 Corinthians. Now, the Corinthian church... Uh, as some of you may know, was pretty dysfunctional. Uh, One area of their lives that Paul, St. Paul, was keen to address in his letter to them was sexual immorality. Now, obviously, sexual immorality is a specific misuse of our bodies, but as you listen to this passage being read, what I'd encourage you to do is listen for the underlying themes as well, the underlying message about our bodies, because there are some very important general applications that Paul is establishing. So, uh, Ted, if you wouldn't mind reading our scripture for us. And our reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. It's on page 1148 in the pews, if you want to follow it in the pews in the church, if you want to follow it in the Bibles, but it's a slightly different version from that on the screen. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. 
Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ted. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So here's the first and uh, most fundamental truth, I guess. Our body belongs to God. Our body belongs to God. He is the creator of all things, including our bodies. In Genesis, God puts humans in charge of creation as stewards, as managers. In that respect, our bodies are no different from the rest of the created order. Ownership is God's. And you may be familiar with this, uh, this wonderful Psalm 139, which we, we hear quite often, especially these opening words. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We are lovingly crafted creations. Have a look around you. Have a look at the the lovingly crafted creations sitting in the seats around you. Go on, have a look. Look around. Tell, Tell the other person that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Acknowledge. Yes. They are, in, they, they are incredible things, these bodies, aren't they? Designed by God, made in his image, cherished by him. We bear the hallmarks of his handiwork, his stamp of ownership. And that should be the cause for celebration. So, we need to treat our bodies with respect and use them to honour and glorify him. Now, from a Christian perspective, some of you may be sitting there and saying, well, you know, this is not earth-shattering news, but let's face it, it does fly in the face of a worldview that's constantly telling us that our bodies belong to us and we can pretty much do whatever we want as long as we don't harm anyone else. Now, I recognize that this is immediately potentially a sensitive area. Somebody who has been through uh, a physically or emotionally uh, abusive or difficult relationship, uh, for those people, reasserting a claim to one's body, to one's own body, can be part of a, a recovery strategy. But ultimately, as Christians, we place our trust in a God who recognizes our value far more than anyone else, even ourselves. If you were to take your body to the Antiques Roadshow, and believe, this, this is not a crack about anybody's age, okay? I'm not, this, this, this is not an age-related joke. If you took your body to the Antiques Roadshow, what would your body be worth? It's a rhetorical question, please. Don't, <laughs> I don't want a bidding war. Certainly not on mine. The Son of God died for you. 
the Son of God died for you, all of you, all of you and all of you in the sense of body, mind, spirit, Jesus Christ died for you. That's how valuable you are. You are priceless. You are priceless beyond value before God. Be affirmed. So if our bodies belong to God, let's just think then about perhaps some of the responsibilities that come with that. And I want to go on to talk about the fact that our bodies need to be carefully managed. So here's Paul's uh, quote at the beginning of that passage. He's, he's basically throwing back to the Corinthians what they have said, what their, their, uh, their sort of um, philosophy of life is. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So Paul has taught the Corinthians, and indeed he teaches uh, many of the churches in many of his letters that there is freedom in Christ. But obviously what he's observing here, what he's seen going on in Corinth, is that there are those in the church who have chosen to abuse this freedom. We can do anything we want. The stomach was made for food, so we'll eat what we want. And one can take that phrase as a kind of euphemistic shorthand for pretty much any kind of excess. It, it underlined or underpinned a general attitude that it didn't really matter. My body here has certain functions, so I'm going to go and enjoy all the uh, experiences uh, that, that can come uh, when I take part in those, uh, fun- using those functions. But Paul throws this assertion straight back at them. Although you should notice that he doesn't deny the underlying, the underlying statement, which is, yes, as Christians, we do have freedom. As, we have freedom in Christ. But what Paul says is, yeah, but wait, not everything is beneficial. Ah, we can do anything we want. Well, yes, says Paul. But we can't allow ourselves to become slaves to our desires. Because we have one master, and that is God. Now, there are many ways... Uh, in which we can do things to our bodies that are unhelpful. That can lead to obsessions, addictions, or simply get in our way or get in the way of our relationship with God and with others. What are those things? There are many. Here's a, a list, excessive drinking, drug dependency, overeating, undereating, eating junk, Overworking, under-exercising, lack of sleep, spending hours staring at a screen. Now, your first reaction to this list may be, well, okay, but are you telling me that these things are wrong? Are they inherently wrong? Not necessarily, is the answer. But maybe they are for you because of the impact that they're having on your life and on those around you. What is excessive drinking? I have to say, I often, when I get back from work of an evening, you had a long day at the office, I'll pour a glass of wine. Okay? On a particularly hard day, I might stretch to two or three. Is that wrong? Maybe. Maybe not. Paul would challenge me to say, Jeff, is that helpful? Or has it, or could it, 
turn into something more than a routine? Am I conditioning myself to cope with a stressful situation through alcohol, using it as a crutch? I'm not talking about getting blind drunk here. I'm talking about nuances. I'm talking about behaviors and habits. And if I do that, and I'm seen to do that by my children, what message is that sending out? Is it wrong if the first thing that I do in the morning is reach for my phone and start reading work emails? I know. Maybe. Does it lead you to stress? Does it bring stress? Is that the best way to start each day with a couple of nice stressful emails that have breezed in from the U.S. overnight? And what impact will that have, again, on my family? Is it compromising my prayer time? Am I leaving myself then short to have that time devoted to God? The point that I'm making, and I believe that St. Paul here is making, is that we need to be vigilant that our appetites do not become our masters. It's a question that all of us have to address. And you know what? The same question or the same issue for each one of us may have a different answer. We have to be uh, self-examining to understand the impact that it's having on our lives and is it having an impact on our relationship with God and with those around us. Uh, to give you one practical example of a discipline that, that, that relates to this area of guarding against being mastered by appetite, and that's the discipline of fasting. Now, fasting, um, going without food for a period of time, it's not something we talk very much about these days. But it is very common in the Bible, and it's certainly a practice that Jesus engaged in regularly. Remember, for example, in the wilderness, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and when challenged uh, by Satan to turn the stones into bread, what was his response? He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So fasting reminds us that it's ultimately God who sustains us, not food. It helps us to stop relying in general on the non-essential things in life, regain a proper perspective on what's important. Now, by the way, I... I'm lousy at fasting. It's not a discipline that I have got into my spiritual routine. But it's certainly in putting this sermon together made me think twice about that. And I know there are those in this church who do fast regularly. And fasting and praying is a very effective way of being able to be closer to God. And there are those who, uh, who I know uh, benefit from this in their prayer life. Worth checking that out. So we have to look after ourselves. Our bodies belong to God. But if they belong to God, then we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to manage them carefully and to resist becoming slaves to our appetites. And the third thing I want to say is this, that body and spirit are one. Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Now, back in the first and second centuries, uh, there was a mode of belief that crept into the church known as Gnosticism. Not to be confused with, uh, confused with agnosticism. Agnosticism being you, you, you don't believe the sufficient evidence either way of the existence of God. This is a very different thing. Gnosticism basically believed that there was a complete separation between 
um, the spiritual world and the physical world. What mattered was spiritual and intellectual experience, and the body was essentially devalued. The physical world was considered evil. As a consequence, many believed that it didn't really matter what you did with your body or how you treated it or how you behaved because actually that didn't count. Salvation was entirely spiritual. And I'm sad to say, but I think, and we'll see it in a few, uh, few minutes, that I think that kind of thinking does still persist today. Christians who, who claim salvation through having prayed the right prayer but appear to be going on behaving and living exactly as they did before they met Christ. But the Bible is very clear that there is a fundamental connection between our bodies and our spirits. And Paul uses this example of uh, going to a prostitute. How can you do that, he says. How, how can you do that? You are members of Christ himself. You're in spiritual union with him. Don't you realize that you jeopardize or damage that relationship by in, engaging in an inappropriate sexual union? Because what we do sexually, we do with our whole self, not just the physical part of us. And who we are and what we do as Christians, we do with our whole self, not just the spiritual part of us. We are integral. We are whole, body, mind, spirit, interconnected. And Paul takes this issue very seriously. Because his advice, he says, if you find yourself in this kind of dilemma, he says what? He says, run! <laughs> run away! Flee! Maybe he was thinking of Old Testament Joseph. You remember that story uh, where Joseph found himself in a potentially compromising situation with his master's wife uh, when he was about to be seduced. He ran for it. He ran for it. It's tough, but you know what? We've got to be self-aware enough and spiritually aware enough to see these things coming, to know when we're heading into a situation where these wrong desires and motives could, make, uh, could damage that spiritual relationship that we have with Jesus and make a swift exit. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You just think about that word for a moment. That's a very strong statement, isn't it? Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul could have used another word. Paul could have said, the house of, uh, a residence. He could have simply said that as Christians, uh, God's Holy Spirit lives within us. But temple, temple is a place of worship. So our bodies not only belong to God, not only are they the residence of God, but they are a place where God is worshipped. Wherever we go, wherever we go and whatever we're doing, we don't leave God behind when we go on vacation. He's with us. We are the temples. Listen to this. We are mobile temples of the presence of Almighty God. Phew. Okay. Again, have a look around you at the mobile temples of the Almighty God that are, that are sitting next to you and around you. Just acknowledge them. Look at them with different eyes. It's quite a responsibility, isn't it? On the other hand, it's quite a privilege. And knowing the character of our God who is a loving and gracious Father, it should also be a source of great comfort and confidence. Now, of course, the world does not recognize that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We even have to remind ourselves sometimes, don't we? And I would argue that there are very powerful forces out there, fueled by advertisers, by publishers, by social media, that are trying to sell us 
and especially our young people, a twisted and very damaging lie, a distortion that essentially tells us that our bodies, not God, not even our minds or our personalities, but our bodies should be the object of worship. These are the lies that tell us that our bodies should be a certain size, a specific shape, Lies that define what beauty looks like and therefore, by inference, what it doesn't. If we can make it run, uh, we have a, a very short video I'd like you to watch. Can we get this working? I have a question. People tell me this all the time, so... I don't know. Is it true? People say I'm ugly. Maybe start that again, Derek. It's only 20 seconds long. I have a question. People tell me this all the time, so... I have a question. People tell me this all the time, so I don't know. Is it true? People say I'm ugly. So tell me, am I? Am I ugly? People tell me that all the time. Is it true? Is it true? Hey, I'm it's, Holly. Um, that this is another. Uh, we won't want to watch this one, but this I'm is pretty, another video on exactly the I'm same ugly. subject. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. But if you go on to YouTube, if you go on to Reddit, if you go on to, I'm no doubt, various other platforms, the Instagrams, the WhatsApps, wherever you want to go, you'll find dozens. You will find hundreds, hundreds of these types of messages and videos. You know that 10,000 people a month Google, am I ugly? Here's some other rather disturbing statistics. Now, statistics, you know, lies and damn statistics. Uh, you, you can, you can uh, judge the veracity of these for yourselves. Um, I, can't, I can't give you uh, carte blanche that they are completely accurate. But what I will tell you is there's enough data out there to suggest that these numbers uh, are very close to the truth because there's, there's just too much uh, weight of evidence. First of all, this one. Models, most models weigh 23% less uh, than a typical woman. 20 years ago, the difference was 8%. 70% of girls agree that models in magazines had a major influence on what a perfect body shape should be. 55% of teen boys would consider changing diet to look better, and 23% believe there is such a thing as a perfect male body. A U.S. survey found that 31% of teens, 31% are withdrawing from classroom debates because they don't want to draw attention to the way they look. 17% of adult women, so we're, not, we're out of the teenagers now, 17% of adult women wouldn't show up for a job interview on a day when they didn't think they looked good. 37% of adult Brits are unhappy with their bodies 
and women at 44%. 90% of British teenage girls are unhappy with their bodies, and that came from a magazine survey quite a few years ago, and I can't imagine that it's got any better. One of the most disturbing elements of all this is that it's not even based on how people actually objectively look. This is simply based on how people think that they look. This is the distortion. This is part of the lie, and it's leading to all sorts of problems, low self-esteem and eating disorders, which have increased by something like 400% over the last couple of decades, greater depression, higher alcohol and drug use, high-risk sex, self-harming. And I would imagine no doubt, a number of the things that Claire was addressing last week, because as we've just said, mind and body are interconnected. Based on these statistics, I would think it is highly probable that some of you in this church this morning are dealing with issues like this, either personally or someone close to you. And if that's the case, um, we really do want to pray with you a little later when we go into prayers for healing. But there's one more survey that I do want to share with you before I finish, and it relates back to the earlier point I made about Gnosticism, strangely enough. Remember that this, this idea of wrong thinking that led Christians to believe that it was uh, all about the spirit and the body wasn't important? Well, this survey, interestingly, addresses that question and reveals the result um, of that kind of thinking. Last year, uh, so this is a 2016 study uh, from a U.S. university. They went out and surveyed 250 Christian men and women. And the survey found that religious beliefs about the body had a significant influence on body image and above other factors such as things like religious commitment. And here's the, here's the conclusions of that study. The belief that one's body is, quote, just something I live in here on earth... The belief that one's body is sinful and meant to be subdued and the belief that one's body is less important to God than one's soul will link to body shame. Conversely, and in contrast, beliefs reflecting Christian teachings that one's body is a temple of God created specifically by God and that God is glorified and honored through one's body will link to appreciating one's body. It does make a difference. It makes a real difference what we believe on this issue. There is a major crisis. There's a major crisis going on in our society right now. It's impacting everyone. It's impacting, I'm sure, many of you here. It's certainly impacting our young people. As individuals and as a church, we have a solution. We have to be bold enough to share it. And our message is... Our message is not, I should say, our message is not, oh, just forget about body and body image. That's not important. What counts is spiritual. That's not our message. Quite the contrary. We proclaim that our bodies, whatever shape, whatever size, whatever age, however abled, are precious, created and designed by God our Father, owned by him in which he has taken up residence. They are places but not objects of worship. He doesn't judge us on our appearance. When he looks at us, he sees mind, body, spirit, and he sees our hearts, and he loves what he sees. And that's a wonderful thing. And so many of us, so many young people, so many of us generally need to hear that message to combat the lies that are causing so much distress. I want us to move now into 
just a time of prayer and reflection. I'd like you to just bow your heads and think through some of these issues we've talked about. Whether those are issues that you're dealing with personally. Remember I talked earlier about those habits. Let's think and reflect. Is God pointing to you towards something today in your life that is not helpful in regard to a, a physical uh, habit or routine that is somehow not helping your relationship with God or is disturbing your relationship with those around you. And this whole image around, or this whole issue around body image, what is impacting you? Is it impacting you? What about your children or your grandchildren? Anyone that you love? Is there somebody who needs to hear those affirming, life-giving words of Jesus? Is it a neighbor? Is it someone at work? Someone who needs to hear what the true message is, how our bodies really are, and what God thinks of us and how he values us. Let's just spend a few moments in silence.